You hear that, everybody? That means I got to pay some bills. Oh, that's the disco call, the bird of salesmanship, man, here to tell us that area is all about the live Smodco shows you can go see near you, man. Want to see one of these newfangled live podcast thingies all the hipsters are talking about? Podcasts are free, man. When you come see them live, you have got to pay. Women in negligees, free. Brothers have got to pay. Smodco shows heading your way this week, man. Me and Jay Muse make our debuts at Hollywood's famous Sunset Strip, man. Jay and Silly Bob getting law, getting old, getting live. Uh, I get all flustered when the birds flying, man. I get crazy for them. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob get old comes to the Laugh Factory uh, on a Sunset Strip in Hollywood, man. Ten o'clock. Wednesday, January 23rd. This Wednesday, it's our debut. Uh, help us sell this bitch out so the Laugh Factory thinks we're, we got something going on. January 31st, man, uh, me and Muse are taking a trip to Colorado. The Colorado rush is happening. Uh, Jay and Silly Bob get old in Durango on January 31st at the Community Concert Hall at Fort Lewis College, 7.30 p.m. Uh, then on February 1st, uh, over in uh, Boulder, man, Bowl over the shoulder, Boulder, Holder, Colorado. Celebrating their recent relaxation of the weed laws, me and Muse gonna do what we're calling a podcast. Isn't that cute? It's Jay and Silly Bob get old, 7 p.m. at the Boulder Theater, man. Ticks at csmod.com. February 2nd, you got two Smod Co shows, the love it's been. Hollywood Babylon at 8 p.m. Then stick around, as usual. Hollywood Babylon, 8 p.m. Me and Ralph. Stick around, uh, 10 p.m., man. Space Monkeys. What Space Monkeys? That's Bry Johnson. Uh, that's Brian Quinn. That's Sal Volcano. Those last two dudes are from Impractical Jokers. The first guy, Bry Johnson. Of course, you know from Comic Book Man. And both Brian and Brian know from Tell Him Steve Dave, man. Uh, they do a podcast called Space Monkeys, and they're coming to do it out here in Los Angeles. We give them a big old warm welcome at the Lovitz. Uh, it's right after Babylon on February 2nd. At the John Lovitz Comedy Club and Podcast Theater. Tickets at csmod.com. And hey, you want to get some oral from my wife while I watch? I'm a creepy cuckold like that, man. No, man, I'm not talking about that mother scratch. I'm talking about plus one, bitch. Me and my good lady wife, Jen Schwabach, tell you the secret to staying married. Spoilers. It's anal. Uh, plus one at Cobb's Comedy Club, February 6th. Part of the San Francisco Sketch Fest. More info over at csmod.com, S-E-E-S-M-O-D.com. And don't forget all about the new shows over at the YouTube channel, man, uh, csmod, youtube.com slash csmod. Why, Bri? Wall Flying and Draws, Comic Head is back, of course, and Sloppy Seconds with Kevin Smith. The Smod Kingdom comes, man. Comes and comes and keeps on coming. Buckets full of funny. Slipping your ear pussy, man. Feels good. Spotcast.com, kids. Now back to our show. There is one whom I have wronged, and he looks at me angrily. This bothers me. No matter what I do, I offer my apologies. Always he ignores my pleas, but I ask myself. What the better man would do He would forgive me So I'll forgive me too 
There have been so many times that I have felt so low I would rather die than look at me From someone else's view And always there were those who would gladly tell me I'm no good But I ask myself what the better man would do He would love me, so I will love me too. I've been ashamed of the life that I've been living. Take my hand, tell me I'm forgiven. Take my hand and tell me I'm forgiven. So if you're walking down the street and you see a soul who's in defeat, don't you pass him by? No matter what you do. Cool. Cause cool. brother, don't you wait. understand that when you land a helping hand? Person yeah, that you really help is you, yeah. Love your neighbor. He will love you too. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was great. Yeah. If you do the things, if you do the things, hey, if you do the things, yeah. the better man. We need more balls. <laughs> That's an option. All right, I'm going to play another song. I put up your John Elliott. There's a new guy and making the trappers today the world. at the Waffle House. That would be nice too. And, it's um, Sunday that, morning no. and busy as it can be. I take a last available seat at the counter. I don't, and I don't have that. Where the new guy okay. stationed right in front of me. All four of his machines are overflowing with batter. It's oozing down the cabinet to the floor It's two inches deep, he can hardly keep his footing Three waitresses are waiting for Waffles If he can't make them, they can't serve them Shouldn't us diners take a closer look 
look at him Five foot five, barely seventeen Legs tangled up in dirty apron strings Really bad skin, two broken teeth Arms like sticks poking out of his sleeves A chef's hat teetering on his big ears He's sweating like a pig, he's fighting back with tears And this trial by fire The boy who mans the waffle iron Sounds a waffle's ready, so he lifts the lid. He can't ease the waffle out, so he grabs a fork. He stabs at the waffle, it breaks into little pieces. He digs them out and flicks them on the floor. A young waitress can't resist, she tries to help him. But the man in charge of eggs throws her a look She backs away, I guess the egg man is the owner Or the father of this awkward would-be cook Of waffles If he can't make them, they can't serve them We're all thinking that this job's too much for him Barely seventeen Legs tangled up in dirty apron strings Really bad skin, two broken teeth Arms like sticks poking out of his sleeves A chef's hat teetering on his big ears He's sweating like a pig, he's fighting back with tears Ain't it time to fire The boy who mans the waffle a waffle on an egg-filled plate His ragged smile would take your breath away He spins around to show the waffle to that waitress But like a frisbee it sails right off the plate And flies into the face of the Eggman Who catches it and looks down at the kid He holds up the waffle for all of us to see <laughs> Then he smiles and says Do you see what my boy did? Waffles My boy can make them We can serve them And I always knew he had the gift in him Barely seventeen Legs tangled up in dirty apron strings Really bad skin, two broken teeth 
Arms like sticks poking out of his sleeves A chef's hat teetering on his big ears He's sweating like a pig, he's fighting back the tears hey, But there'll be no firing Perfect, fantastic Just want to make sure we suddenly went through the nice cast wasn't in Ireland So we had to quickly download it But when we downloaded it, it's Okay, good Alright, thanks, Will This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. The first time that I thought of her, she came to me so quietly, so calmly like a wrecking ball. Calmly like a wrecking ball, calmly to me. time I saw her, she could twist around her lips. She was following those bracelets and giving me those eyes. Watch out for the young ones. Watch out for them. Time got away from me so easily. Running wild and free. We were so young then 
That's a fine way to start the year. <laughs> That's John Elliott, Time Got Away. It's uh, on an EP called Elliott Rose DaCosta. It's an EP on iTunes. Uh, check it out. Just beautiful, beautiful, lyrical and just uplifting. And man, thank you, Logan, for bringing that in today. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. Great way to start the new year. Uh, sorry about the false starts I've uh, been having this year. <laughs> you know, shit happens, right? I mean, and let me tell you, the, the, like part of it was I had the flu. And then I apologize. But last week, uh, you know, shit really happens. I mean, one day you're, um, you know, you're cruising through life and uh, you get a little bit of a headache. And uh, the next minute you are having brain surgery. No, not me, but my best friend. And that's what happened last week. So uh, life is man, life is intense, and precious and uh, beautiful and insane. And uh, so that's, that's where I've been the last few weeks. Uh, yeah, and oh, and God, and last month, I did a show with my uncle. It was amazing. And <laughs> <laughs> it just was basically a conversation between him and I. Nothing was recorded. Nothing went out. It was hysterical. Uh, but he'll be back next week. We're going to have that conversation again. And an even better one because we just the other one was just a practice conversation, really. So uh, so welcome, everyone. It's uh, January 24th, 2013. It's the new year. It's um, wow. It's the new year. We all made it. We made it through the holidays. We made it through the apocalypse thingy dingy. <laughs> Whatever that thing was. Uh, I went on retreat. I didn't go anywhere on retreat. I just actually retreated. Retreated from lots of things, uh, mostly social media and, and the world for a few days. And that was great. Uh, and it's been, it's been a good, it's been a really, really great month. I'm, I'm feeling good. And, uh, so yeah, it's strangely enough, I made a decision 30 days ago to stop drinking and, 
stop smoking weed too. Not that I was really smoking a lot of weed. Like, you know, once a week I'd have a hit of pot. Uh, but I was drinking every day. And I, and I have to tell you, my bottom was probably the highest bottom in the history of Hollywood. Trust me. Uh, but I did. I just decided to draw this uh, line in the sand for myself. And uh, and I was writing a little bit about it this morning and this whole thing came out. So I thought I would just uh, go ahead and share with you guys what some ideas that I had around this. So um uh, yes, I have 30 days sober today, but that really is really not the point. Sober is just the outer thing. And it's not the thing thing. It's this um, outer manifestation to some deeper thing. Uh, basically, here's what it is. Um, I'm, I just don't want to fuck around anymore. I'm just done fucking around with myself. I'm turning 50 this year. <laughs> And I just feel like whatever can help me feel clearer and have having more energy and more focus is what I'm all about right now. Because, damn it, I want to be 50 and fab. <laughs> but and the thing about this sobriety thing is it's not about perfection. It's not about, oh, I have to be sober or something like that. I don't know. It's just it's a huge shift for me. So it's not about perfection. It's 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 for me, it's about no more compromising certain things. It's about being clear about what I want in my day and just doing it. No more fucking around. No more letting the neurotic fantasy script in my head be the arbiter of my reality. And yes, that sounds like it could be exhausting, but I have to tell you, it's really, really not. Instead, I've been fed by like each moment of the day because I'm just choosing to be present with it, whatever it is. And some part of me thinks, oh, but that could be inflating too, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm being in the moment and I'm being sober. And, and yet the neuro, the neurosis comes up, the neurotic moment comes up, the insanity comes up, the pain, the suffering, whatever comes up. And I don't know, I'm just being present with it. It's, it's, it's really nice to just be present with all of it. Being human, this is a huge, huge theme for me right now. I, I'm starting to see how all of my striving compulsions to get it all done, or my obsession with how others see me are ways of avoiding being human. I spent a whole life living in fear of disappointing others with my behavior. And when I have disappointed them, I have felt crushed, filled with shame, and then filled with fear that I'm actually an unconscious monster just ready to unleash my shadow crap on the world. I would have rather felt all the anxiety and the shame than just admit that I'm human and sometimes I make mistakes. I'm here to tell you that perfectionism kills. It kills dreams. It kills adventures. It kills the joyful participation in life. Hell, it kills all participation in life. Life is a call and response game. Living life is participating in the call and response. Body hungers, you eat. Child cries, you soothe. A city gets hit by a hurricane, you help. You have a vision of a scene between a father and a son, and you write a novel. But with perfectionism, we set out to interrupt the natural call and response cycle. We refuse the call. We fear the call. We ignore the call. Our perfectionism says, I can't respond because I'll get my hands dirty or it'll take too much time or people will think I'm crazy or ugly or stupid or not good enough. Not good enough. Hmm. 
the universe, that creative impulse has no idea what the phrase not good enough means. When you answer the call and step organically into your response, you are immediately enough. You are enough because you have entered the conversation with the call, the long conversation we all have with life. And inside the conversation, that is where you get all the information you need. You cannot learn to climb a tree until you start to climb the tree. Sure, you can have an idea about what tree climbing is, but until your hand grasps that first branch, you will not know exactly how much force it will take and at what angle you will need to lift your foot up and onto the trunk. Yes, of course, you have a vision of a novel about a father and a son working through their relationship, and you may even have a snippet of dialogue or a setting, but until you put pen to paper, you will not know that the reason the father had to leave the family was because of a deep fear that he was not worthy of them. So what is this all about? Perfectionism. Living in ideal fantasy keeps me, you, all of us from living a human life. And admitting we are human allows us to respond viscerally to life, you know, like the animal we are. And this human animal has a relationship with the world around it. And when we live in relationship, we are part of the conversation of life. And when we allow ourselves to be part of the conversation, we see that we have something to say that is unfiltered by Madison Avenue or your mother's neurosis. So dare to be human and come out and enter the conversation with me. We used to be afraid to dream We take each step uncertainly my sleep it came to me what if everything I had was gone seems easy to get stuck in between what you have and what you need well all the while you were sitting next to me and then suddenly I see all by our side And there's other tricks we'll have up our sleeve But for now let's just
Welcome back, everyone. That was um, Chris Trapper across the world. Uh, I'm guessing you can go to ChrisTrapper.com. You know, you know how that is these days, because my ass even has a website. <laughs> KellyCarlinsAss.com. You know what? Someone's going to go out there right now. They're going to grab that domain and they're going to send me an email going, hey, I have the domain, KellyCarlinsAss.com, because that's the fucking strange world we live in. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it or not, and I didn't print it out for the show today, but um, it's going around Facebook today. It's a Banksy de- declaration about uh, billboards and everything. Uh, it's just so great. And that's what inspired me to write the Madison Avenue line in that essay uh, that, you know, he talks about how it's this... Uh, you know, we don't ask to be to look at their words in these things. And, uh, you know, it's an assault. It's a literally an assault on humanity to have those billboards and have advertising everywhere. I love that. Yes, go Banksy. Go Adbusters too. If you guys don't know about Adbusters, go check them out. They're rocking. So my guest today is not live. I pre-recorded an interview. He had some other um, things he had to do, but I recorded an interview with him today. He's a he's a guest that I've had on the show twice before. I think this is my first three time of guest, and it's kind of nice and appropriate because uh, he's a teacher of mine, and uh, he's a he's one cool dude. Um, uh, his name is Gempo Roshi. You guys know Gempo if you've uh, been listening to my show. Uh, Gempo, of course, is born Dennis Paul Merzel in Brooklyn, New York. Yes, he's a Zen master, a Jewish Zen master from Brooklyn, New York. But actually, he grew up here in Southern California and was like the typical Southern California boy. He was a champion swimmer, and he was an all-American water polo player, very, very competitive uh, water polo player, uh, got his master's degree at USC, was a lifeguard, and then in 1973, he had this big awakening in the desert. If you listen to one of my other episodes with him, he tells the story and ended up at downtown at the LA uh, Zen Center with my with Maizumi Roshi, who is one of the preeminent and first Zen masters to come to the West and teach Western students Zen. And he ended up uh, becoming uh, Maizumi Roshi's Dharma successor. And then in uh, 19, God, when was it? Uh, 1996, uh, Genpo received Inca, which means officially like the Zen master title. And he got that from uh, Roshi Bernie Glassman, who's another great Jewish Zen master. <laughs> and uh, so Genpo's had a lot of uh, ups and downs in the last few years, but but one of the He's one of my teachers. He's a great human being and, he, and he's a teacher that I go to a lot. And he's got this amazing process called the Big Mind process. And, uh, you can look, check it out, bigmind.org. But I just want to uh, tell you some words that, um, describe the Big Mind process and what it means. Uh, there's a gentleman named Ken Wilbur who I would die to have on this show and I'm determined to do that someday. He's a, he's an integral philosopher and most people don't even know what that is, but, um, in this kind of alternative philosophical world, he's, he's a visionary. The guy's written like over 20 books and some of those books are like 600 pages. This man is a prolific thinker and writer, uh, very cutting edge stuff. And, uh, through him actually is how I was introduced to, to Genpo Roshi. And Ken Wilbur says this about the big mind process. He says, the big mind process is arguably, arguably the most important and original discovery in the last two centuries of Buddhism. Holy shit. That's, <laughs> that's a lot to say. Uh, so I, 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 I'm introducing Genpo Roshi here and, uh, 
we talk, uh, we talk, we go all over the place, but uh, we have a really, really great conversation. Uh, so enjoy. So uh, welcome back to the show, Gempo. Thank you very much, Kelly. It's really, really an honor and pleasure to uh, be back on your show. Well, it's it's always an honor for me to talk to you. We always have uh, what I find to be very stimulating, great conversations. And, uh, and I'm excited because uh, I wanted to have you on the show because I know you're coming into L.A. You people in L.A. are lucky. Uh, Gempa will be here uh, the weekend of February 2nd and 3rd um, doing some work on the on that great triangle that, uh, you know, who was it? Like John Bradshaw came up with that triangle, the victim persecutor. <laughs> yeah, victim perpetrator and rescuer, sometimes called yes. persecutor. That's great. Yep, yep. I, I tend to call it, I relabeled it a little bit, uh, the victim, aggressor, and rest and the savior. Ah. Because I know, I know a lot of us in the spiritual world have a savior complex. In other <laughs> words, we're trying to save the world. Yeah, and certainly I do, and and it carries over into personal relationships. Yes, so. certainly. Um, my whole of uh, uh, all the 1980s in my 20s, my first whole marriage was I was knee deep, unconscious in the savior complex, not knowing that that's the whole reason I was in my marriage was because I was there to save, thinking that I was going to save this person. And, exactly. and it was a very, it was a, it was a, it's interesting because, you know, here I was playing the savior and yet I was living, I was living out a living hell at the same time. Yeah, I, I think that's what happens. Uh, and we easily then fall into, uh, not recognizing the fact that we are victims or coming across as a victim or, um, So um, what happens? Somebody came to the door. Oh. What happens is we don't aware. We're not aware that we're coming in out like looking like a victim, and of course we're in denial about that. And then we fall into again not recognizing or being aware that we're actually perpetrating or overpowering. Is is a term I like. We kind of overpower the other with all our understanding and all you know, all our capacity, physical, mental, in every other way. And um, we go round and round on these three in this triangle. That's really interesting what you just said about the that angle and that kind of perspective on the perpetrator, that we we overwhelm the other with our our knowing and understanding and capacity because you know when you're when you're in that mode and you're you're trying to bring all that positiveness and you're trying to bring you know you're trying to make suggestions for the person or help them shape their life or um obsess about how they're not you know doing the best for themselves or something and and we feel like we're such do-gooders in that moment <laughs> that's right exactly we feel like we're doing good and we have the best of intentions and actually to the other person it just seems like we're just overpowering them and perpetrating against them uh, because they feel victimized. Yeah, yeah. It's also interesting that when we don't recognize, when we're not aware that I am coming out as a victim, 
and we usually don't see it because it's such a distasteful voice mm -hmm. in all of us. You know, we really don't want to be very identified with a victim. And yet it's there. We actually beg the other to become a perpetrator. I mean, not consciously, of course. I'm talking about all this is unconscious. Yeah. But we actually, we're such a, we're such a, uh, we're so victimized. We're such a victim that we actually invite mm -hmm. the aggression yeah. against ourselves. And then we feel more victimized. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it completely plays right into our, our, our storyline, our personal mythology. And, uh, and then, yeah, and then we're, and then we're validated. See, it's like, see, I told you I was a victim. <laughs> exactly. I told exactly. you God hates me. See, it's all the universe's fault, because I just showed up and this person, you know, took advantage of me again. Yeah, I, I know I've had a lot of working with people as a therapist and then as a coach and just people, you know, people in my life and stuff. And, you know, when that victim voice comes out, you can always hear it. And, and I'm always like waiting to hear the story. Okay, what's the new story of how, <laughs> how, they, how they have found themselves the perfect man to, uh, you know, to wound them again or something. So and and so what you and I are talking about here, just to catch the listeners up a little bit is we're talking about these different voices that um uh, are uh, used in uh, many different ways, many different therapeutic settings. Uh, specifically, uh, Gempo uh, worked with um, the, the Stones and learned about voice dialogue. This is a technique that's used by therapists and all sorts of people to help access different aspects of the self uh, that mostly are unconscious, these voices. Uh, you know, we, we rarely recognize them and, and acknowledge them. And uh, if you don't know Gempo, what Gempo does is this amazing process where he's taken this Western therapeutic technique of voice dialogue, and he 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 works with uh, some of these voices that we call them the finite or the finite voices, uh, victim, persecutor, greed, uh, sexual pervert. That's always a fun one. Um, <laughs> desire, fear. Uh, basically, you name the human emotion or or the human attitude and there's a voice for it in, inside the self um, but the interesting thing that Gempo has done is he has taken this process and taken it to a whole different level where he helps his students step into the infinite voices uh, what you could call the voice of enlightenment uh, the voice of nirvana the voice of the buddha uh, the voice of the voice of God, you could say. And it is the the voice, it is the aspect of self that is unconscious in most of us, because we're walking around in a finite world with time and space and a body. And yet Gempo uses this technique in such a graceful, elegant and easy way to literally walk anybody just I'm pretty sure he said anybody uh, into this space, this perspective where you are connected to the transcendent mind. There is no time space. There is no self. There is no other. There is just being the actual sense of being. And so this is why Ken Wilbur talked about this being one of the most, you know, important discoveries of technique in the last 200 years for Buddhism, because uh, no one else does it like this. You know, most of the time, 
and you probably still do have to sit your ass on a cushion <laughs> for a couple of decades to integrate all these things. But, um, but you can have a glimpse or a taste, as they say, through this big mind technique. So, so Gimpo, I'm, I'm curious to know, um, you know, you being a Zen master, and obviously, a lot of your work in the world is about understanding enlightenment and helping people touch that and, and understanding how to be a human in relationship with the transcendent. Why are these finite voices, these voices of the victim or the perpetrator or the savior, any of that kind of stuff? Why are they important in uh, a seeker or a spiritual practitioner's process? You know, that's a great, great question and a great lead-in. And I know we didn't plan any of this, but you couldn't have asked a better question. Um, you know, what happens, you know, I've been teaching Zen for nearly 40 years. I've been practicing it for over 40 years. And what happens at some point, at least I do, and I, I think many great Zen masters of our of our time also said similar things, that our job is around about untying knots and removing barriers from self-actualizing, from being a, uh, an integrated, free-functioning human being is the term I use. And these knots are all in the relative side or in the, in the uh, side of our personality and psychological, we, we can call it the relative side or you call it the finite side, uh, they're not in the infinite. The infinite is just a matter of that we're not awake to it and we don't seem to know how to access uh, this infinite capacity. You could look at it as left brain, right brain. It's not quite the same. But the, certainly the right brain is more connected with the intuitive and that connection to the whole, to the all, uh, that you have in the transcendent. The left brain is, is very cognitive, very analytical, uh, and very much based in dualistic thinking. I versus you, me versus the planet, or we might think of ourselves as trying to connect to the planet, but we're still separate trying to connect. Now, a big drive in all of us as human beings is to find that infinite within us. And it, it comes around or it comes about and feels like finding home, that we feel somehow that we are not at home, we're not at peace, we're not free. And we're looking for that place or that space where we feel our full capacity as a human being. And it's interesting because you can divide it up into human and being. And it's a beautiful term, human being. I only discovered how beautiful that term was in the last 15 years or so. Because you've got the human qualities, which are what we're talking about, all the human aspects, and then you have the being, just pure beingness, where we are connected to the infinite, we are the, the whole, the all. Uh, we can say that this is uh, cosmic consciousness or Christ consciousness or, I, or our, our true nature. And we're searching for this, and there's a tendency in all of us to want to escape from the suffering that the human realm uh, offers us, <laughs> in a, like a better way to say it. Yes. It just offers us a lot of suffering in the yeah. human realm. Uh, there's a lot of pain, and there's things that go wrong physically and, and mentally and psychologically. And 
that's the realm that we would like to transcend, we'd like to escape it. So we start searching for this infinite or for the transcendent. And it's always present, it's always accessible, it's always available to us, it's right here, right now. But somehow, because we are looking for it, we can't see that I am that which is looking for it. So I am this which is looking for something else, and we... We do it in a very dualistic way. In other words, we put it outside ourselves and we try to find it out there, and we can't. It's not out there. Then we look inside, so many meditators and spiritual practitioners begin the process of looking within, but you're not going to find it there either because it's the one looking. <laughs> so you don't find it out there, you don't find it inside because it's not a thing. It's a place of being, it's a spaciousness, it's, it's what we would call our true nature which is looking for itself, okay? And so, because your eye can't see the eye and the face can't see the face, <laughs> we can't find it. So, what the technique of Big Mind does is allows us to make a leap from the relative or, you can say, the finite realm to the infinite or the non-dual realm. And you can't get to the non-dual from the dual by trying and efforting, because that's still on the track of the finite. You have to leap rails, like a railroad track. You have to leap from the left rail to the right rail uh, in one leap. You can't get there. If you try on that left rail and you go as hard as you can down that rail, and you think, well, eventually, because it looks like off in the distance, uh, these two rails meet up, well, that, that's a, an illusion. It, it's a facade. It's, it's, it's a mirage. It's not real. They never meet. No matter how long you try to get to the infinite from the finite, you can't do it. But if you let go, or you jump, or you leap over, you can find yourself instantly. And that's why Zen has always said it's the sudden school of awakening in other words, you don't get there gradually, even though you may practice for 10 years, 20 years. At some point, you make a leap of faith. You mm -hmm. just let go, you drop off, you say drop off body-mind or drop the self, and then you find yourself on the other rail in the infinite. So we're trying to get there. What my work is about is once we're there and we find that relief, we find that nirvana, as you mentioned, Kelly, we find that peace and liberation, how do we come back and integrate that into our life? Mm -hmm. So how do we integrate that into our personal relationships, our love relationships? How do we integrate that into all the other dynamics of our life? Because that's where the juice is. I call it the petrol. That's where <laughs> all the gas is. And, you know, um, it's in that realm because the infinite, we're just at peace. And yeah. it's absolutely tranquil and spacious and free, liberated. Yet, we have to come back into the world. So traditionally, Zen teaching is about first you ascend the mountain, and then you have to once again descend the mountain and back into the, the muddy water of our everyday life. So that's what my work is all about. How quickly, because the big mind is the most effective, as you mentioned, yeah. most effective means so far for getting us to a state experience of the infinite. Now, what we do find is it not only gives us a state experience, 
But if we're ready to make a leap on a stage level, in other words, that we're really ready to integrate a next level of consciousness, the big mind also helps us make that kind of stage leap too. Then we have to come back. Yeah. I can tell you what I think of. And yeah, what is that, um, you know, because there is that glimpse you get, you know, and I, and I felt that and, and, and then you, you know, and then you lose it and you're like, oh, you know, where's that damn big mind again? <laughs> but I'm just so curious about, because I'm, I'm, I'm in a, in a really interesting place in my own life right now. And I, I feel like I've, I'm making some sort of a, a, a leap up into a, a new way of just being in my body. And, and this idea of, you know, the develop, the stage developments, you know, and obviously Ken Wilber talks a lot about that. And, and, you know, if you are, ready to really integrate that sense that um, the infinite non-dual self more I- into into your life where it's not just a, um, um, a, a you know, it doesn't feel just like um, a magic trick, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Right. An aha, an aha, an aha right. experience, right. But you're really, you're really bringing it into your bones and into your daily life. Like for yourself, how, you know, how does that blend inside of your day? Are you having moments where you are in touch with just your being and it's informing your human or, you know, or is it a, is it a, is it just a different kind of a shade of color of all over your life, a kind of a tone or a music that lives inside of you in a different way that you're no longer quite in being or quite in the human or is it, you know, or are you jumping all around? Well, you know, it's kind of all of that and more Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because it is a process. So one thing I want to say is for thousands of years, at least 2,500 years, It's always been that an awakening experience comes suddenly. Now, there's such a thing as a glimpse and there's a full awakening, and those are degrees of clarity. Now, what we experience, the oneness with all, you know, all be, all things, you know, that, that we're all connected to the whole universe and there's no dual. In other words, we're one with it. That experience is universal. The, the clarity and the degree by which we experience that state experience can vary all over the charts. Okay, that can be from anything from one to a hundred, you know, of clarity, percent clarity. Mm-hmm. When it's just a glimpse, we have a more difficult time accessing that non-dual space. So this is where traditionally practice comes in. Mm-hmm. So by meditation, and it can be any kind of quiet meditation. I don't think it has to be zazen particularly. It could be in, during tai chi. It could be walking. It could be, you know, uh, sitting in a hot tub. But somehow sitting gives us, sitting in a posture, gives us a little more what we call samadhi power, power to focus and power to concentrate and to stay focused. So that's very helpful in the practice of learning to move from the awakened experience into uh, integrating it into our daily life. So there are various kinds of practices that help us integrate that experience, meditation being one of them. 
Uh, there are many others. Yeah, I, uh, I think of Thich Nhat Hanh's, you know, what he's so great about bringing to the West is his discussion of mindfulness, you know, and learning. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's to, right. to, to be that's able right. to stand in line at the Trader Joe's and to take a breath and to just be in that moment and not be needing it to go faster or change it in any way. And, and that is like a nice little moment of like, oh, look, here I am in the middle of chaos and feeling such great peace. That's right. So there are many of these upayas that are called techniques uh, that allow us to start to really come from the place of that, let's call it, awakened experience. Mm-hmm. Now, there are things that keep us coming back, and these are deeply rooted patterns, to the old dual way of perceiving and falling into our anger, hostility, or our jealousy, or, you know, our irritation, or fear, and all these. And these are deeply rooted patterns which also need to be addressed. So by working on these patterns, or these conditioned, um, these conditioned patterns, mm-hmm. uh, we learn to work through them how by not trying to avoid, not trying to avoid fear, but actually own our fear. Right. Be willing to acknowledge, I, I have fear around this issue, and go into the fear, and then by going in and actually embodying, being one with it, owning and embodying it, and actually, I, I even go so far as to say, empower it. Empower the fear to do its job. Mm. And its job is to warn us about ever-present danger. So fear actually has a function. You know, we usually think of fear as just bad. Right, you know, right. I'm scared and, and I want to get rid of my fear. And we have there's workshops all over the country and probably the world to get rid of fear. Well, if we really got rid of fear, obviously we'd be fearless, but we wouldn't have fear as a kind of uh, guardian for us, a protector of us, to warn us about danger. Right. So we do stupid things. You <laughs> yes. know, we ride our motorcycle. Ride our motorcycle too fast, you know. <laughs> right. Or, have an accident, you know. Or you know, drop uh, 800 pounds of weights on our legs, you know. I mean, we do stupid things if we're not paying attention to the dangerous situation. Right. So anger, too. Anger is another emotion we're always trying to get rid of, or we're not even conscious of our anger. It Mm. comes out as irritability, or it comes out as hatred, or it comes out as just being, you know, spiteful. And anger actually has the power to cut through. When we can own, embody, and empower anger, we have the ability to cut through things like a sharp razor knife that just cuts it right to the root, right to the cause, so that we don't linger in hatred or linger in animosity. We actually own and embody it, and immediately it becomes juice, it becomes petrol, to free us from places that we're stuck or bound. And every every dualistic emotion and voice actually has a positive side. 
like one of you mentioned the sexual pervert. Well, that was a lot of fun several years ago playing with that voice yes. because I didn't realize that, you know, I had a sexual pervert in me, you know, <laughs> right. and I'm, I'm sure a lot of us don't, you know. And when I started to really give voice to that, when I found it opened up a channel of energy that was like releasing all the chakras in the system, the seven major chakras and all the chakras in the system just got opened up in an instant, and the energy that had been knotted up or tied up was because of repression, of repressing that energy, opened up doors of energy like never before had I experienced. <laughs> I did this with a rabbi who was in his 80s, very well-known rabbi, and boy, it opened him up. He said his, his sexual life, his wife opened up, everything got better. Wow. You know, I mean, it's a tremendous amount of energy that's knotted yes. because it's such a perverted voice, and we see we see that voice uh, in such a negative way, you know, that we just have it all knotted up. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it's 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 like that way with you know all of those voices. You know, they're just it is ultimately just energy and because of socialization and culturalization and having to be, you know, good little citizens in the world, you know, we have to compress and suppress and shape and put it into pretzels and put it in the closet or put it in the basement and all those energies and, and, and quiet all of that stuff. And yet, I remember when I think it was in San Francisco, and you, you, it was the last day and it was in the afternoon. And we've been doing big mind for two days. So we were all very facile at it. And, uh, and you brought up the sexual pervert. And of course, immediately, all of our egos were like, well, I don't have any of that. I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to do this voice. But when you know, you just jump in and, and play around with the voice that person that part of the personality and just have no judgment around it and just let it speak for what it is. What I found personally with that voice was, like you said, an enormous amount of energy. And it was pure creative energy. And it was playful and passionate and didn't have any, um, there was, there was nothing, um, weird or kinky or anything strange about that. It was like this, it was a pure raw, you know, it was like as much energy as like Pele puts out when she makes that volcano happen. It was such an intense amount of energy in my body. And yet I felt like, wow, that I had just connected to some sort of birthright of mine that, you know, like I had the right to to feel that amount of energy and that if I was dealing with it in a conscious way and had a conscious relationship with it, it wouldn't be used for harm and it, and it wouldn't be twisted into some sort of perversion uh, of, of a way. It, would, it, would, it could be really used for, for creativity and good and making things happen in the world. It was, it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating when I connected well, with it. You're absolutely right. And you mentioned the word kinky. It's interesting that the kinkiest voice that I can imagine, which is the sexual pervert, holds the key to the kink in our energy hose. <laughs> in other words, if you think of the, yes. uh, of the kundalini, and if that snake's energy is kink, mm -hmm. you know, like a garden hose, yes. the energy or the flow just can't go through. Yep. Like when my garden hose kinks up, I, I can't get any water out of it. Right. It just drips out little, little, little bit, right? But you open that up in the full flow. And so 
the kinky in his voice holds the key to the kink <laughs> in our energy. Uh, I, I just think that's uh, amazing. I do want to say that every voice, every voice, I have found no voice and no exception to this. Every voice, when we can really do the job of owning, embodying, and empowering that voice, it opens up doors that we didn't even imagine were there, and they all transcend themselves. So the most negative voice becomes positive. The most negative emotion becomes positive. The most negative thought becomes positive. Once we can acknowledge it, your voice to it, own and embody it, become one with it, it transcends itself. Every voice does. Mm, mm. And so the, the interesting thing, you know, we mentioned the, the, the workshop on Saturday and Sunday in LA. On Monday and Tuesday, just with a limited number of people, uh, I go much deeper. I'm doing uh, two days to deepen. where We'll go into this even deeper than we can go with a, a group of many people on Saturday and Sunday. And we always find these retreats, we experiment and we find new depths, uh, incredible depths. Like one weekend, uh, actually it was a five-day uh, to deepen, we discovered the thinking mind and that most meditative teachers or meditation teachers teach to quiet the thinking mind or to shut up the mind or we call it the monkey mind right. again, or we call it the, you know, the the chatterbox mind or whatever. But actually we found, this was about three years ago, we discovered that by only embodying the thinking mind, by empowering the thinking mind to do its job, it transcended itself into a very quiet, still mind that was absolutely poised and ready to think at a moment's notice, very creatively, very alively, very clearly, because it wasn't busy chattering, trying to be heard by the self. <laughs> so the self, by acknowledging it, right, yes. it acknowledged the thinking mind, yes. and then the thinking mind felt actually honored and respected and empowered to do its job, and all of a sudden this nasty little voice in our head that we just can't shut up, yeah. and we can't quiet down, and we're trying to go to sleep, and at night it's, it's going on, going, or napping, or meditating, and it's going, going. All of a sudden, it became the non-thinking mind. It became very still and quiet, and the thoughts that arose were creative and new thoughts, mm. original thoughts, mm. which most people, we never had those original thoughts, because the thinking mind is overshadowing the non-thinking mind with all its noise. Yes. But to tell people to stop it, is the wrong approach. Right. It's right. a big mistake. Because, you know, like if you were a child, when you were a child, and you're locked down in the basement and you're told to shut up and not be heard and not be seen and just stay down there in the basement, you're going to act out. Yeah. And you're going to make loud noises. You're going to try to help get me out of here. I want out. I want to play. I want to get up, watch TV. I don't want to be stuck in the basement down here in a closet. <laughs> well, the voices are the same. If they're not allowed to come up, to come out of what I call disowned and into an owned and embodied place, they act out. They come out covertly in our life. And we don't know, why am I continually sabotaging myself? Why do I continually have injuries? Why do I continually fall down? Why do I continually 
lose all my money? Why do I continually do things that are not good for me? Well, there's a little voice in there that's not being heard that's continually sabotaging Mm -hmm. because it's not being heard. It's not being acknowledged. So where, to me, Zen and the Western psychotherapy meet is this place of owning and body, becoming one with a voice or an energy, and then moving it from negative to positive, and then integrating that into our life. That's Zen practice, and I think that's the best of psychotherapy also. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what I found with this practice, is to be able to use it as um, a spiritual practice to help me with my sitting my sitting meditation, and I I, I know to speak to non-thinking mind or um, non-seeking mind or, or something like that to, to go into that really quiet, quiet space. But then I also know I can use it always to, if something feels up or I feel tension in me or an irritation or an, a, a, a muddiness of some kind, I'll, I'll use this technique to help me kind of find out, you know, who needs, who in the crowd needs to speak up <laughs> this week. Exactly. <laughs> now, I, I, it's interesting. I, and I just, this just came to me because this is something I'm actually working on in my own personal life right now. And, um, I stepped back into, um, going to my Jungian therapist in October because I wanted to integrate a bunch of stuff because I've been, as you know, on quite a journey since my dad died and an, an incredible journey the last few years. And I really feel like I just needed to go in and integrate all my parts. It's been, it's been a great experience. But one of the things that I had a big aha about a couple of weeks ago was that, you know, and, I, and I'm wondering if you can connect to this too, because you work with Big Mind and you created this technique, is this part of us that so fears our unconscious that we're always trying to be the best conscious human we can be. And that that in itself keeps us from sometimes just accepting that we are a human being who's going to make mistakes and we can never clear out all of the closets and all of the rooms in the basement. And that at times something is going to leak out and we're going to be a human and we're going to make a mistake. And I was able to, I'd made a, a somewhat of a mistake with a group of people and I, you know, and it wasn't a big thing, but oh my God, I beat myself up about it. And I was like, what am I unconsciously not dealing with? And what is the voice in me that needs to be heard? And, and finally my therapist just looked at me and he says, you just made a mistake, Kelly. It's really okay. You don't have to like make this into a project every time, you know, you're, you don't, you're not perfect. And I realized it was like, oh, it's this damn perfectionism thing again. So I'm wondering if you've played or danced with this at all, and if you see your need for perfection or something like that rears it head head up in your in your process too. Well, you know, we're on the same page on that, absolutely. And I look at it. I had a, an aha moment. I was leading a workshop here in Maui uh, with a few people. And I realized, I asked to speak to the voice that they most identify with or as. And so for me, it is the savior. For one person, it was the helper. You know, she's a doctor. Another person, it was another voice. And um, for one person, it was being a good person. And then I realized, wait, 
that's really what it is. Because <laughs> I want to be a good, a good person, a yes. good guy, yes. you know, yes. and a good boy. You know, when I was young, and all of a sudden, when we started to do the work, I realized that I am the only one who sees me as a good guy. The world doesn't see me as a good guy. They see me, you know, more <laughs> as the bad boy of Zen or something, you know. Right. And once I realized and owned that already I'm not the good guy, mm. I could just drop that idea mm-hmm. and own the bad guy, you know. <laughs> and once I could do that, oh, fuck, I can just relax. You know? <laughs> Oh my God, you know, it's already the cat's out of the bag. Right, right. And I could just relax and just be myself. Now, all of Zen, and and I think this is where psychotherapy also may meet with with what uh, the East has to teach. In the end, it's all about being oneself Mm. and being true to oneself and being real and be authentic to oneself. Uh, And it it was like the game's up, the gig's up, you know? Uh, and just relax and just be me rather than trying to be the perfect me, the perfect good guy, the one who never makes any mistakes and constantly making mistakes. And, you know, one great Zen master said, my life has just been one mistake after another, mm. you know? And, and it's so refreshing when you start to think about, can we just live that and saying, yeah, my life's been one mistake after another. You know, Buckminster Fuller says, you can't learn from your from your, uh, what's the opposite of mistakes? Uh, like your, success. Uh, successes. Yeah. Successes. You only learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And I really have found in my 40 years of Zen that that's true. Uh, that I've learned more from my mistakes than I ever have from my successes. You know, we do koans in Zen, and I'm not going to get into what they are, but there are these riddles that we have to answer. And many of them came very easy for me, and I just went through one after another. But then the ones that really stumped me, where I was stuck on it for months, those are the ones that really, really did good. I mean, <laughs> uh, really got value out of Because, right. you know, you make mistake after mistake after mistake trying to resolve it. Yeah. And, and you really learn a lot. So in our life, if we could just, like you say, relax a little bit, stop trying to be such a perfectionist, see our humanness, accept ourselves as we are, accept our humanness, and then work from there. Yeah. So for me, it's all about refining ourselves from the place where we know we're okay and we accept ourselves, and then we refine the places that we're still stuck or we still have a barrier or still a hurdle to overcome. Yeah, yeah, you know, it just flashed into my head, and it connects to something we, we were going to talk about, which we can it segues nicely is I was watching the Lance Armstrong interview. And he was talking about how when things started to um, get really big for him, and he had won a couple of the Tour de France's now and he had all these huge sponsors, and he'd become this hero and this entity. And he knew it was like, he knew that everyone was buying into this storyline about him and he knew what he was really doing to get there. And he, he didn't want to, he didn't want to collapse the story for himself, for everybody. It was like, it had become such, had become such momentum in itself that he, 
he was terrified to collapse the the whole thing and just say, I'm a fuck up and I'm a human being and I'm doing this all wrong. And I'm this isn't the person you think I am. And, and, you know, there's that, that thing, which I, I know you've dealt with, because we've, we've talked about it on this show about, you know, being a teacher. And, you know, not only just being a teacher, but being, quote, unquote, a Zen master. I mean, like, you know, in the world of spirituality, you know, that's like the, the Mick Jagger of teachers. <laughs> that's, you know, And to hold that kind of energy to, to, you know, to now be in the place you're in where you're really, you know, I, I remember you said to me last time we spoke, it's like, I just want to go off and be a human being for a while. I just want to go off and be Dennis and, and, and feel what that feels like to just be a guy having a beer in a bar and not the Zen master. So how are you today dealing with those dual storylines for yourself that you are that you are Dennis, the guy having a beer in the bar, and yet you also are this person who's had uh, uh, has a certain lineage and has had certain training and has said certain realizations and insights and, and you are a teacher t- to many. Um, how do you balance that? Well, you know, it's a great question. And since we talked last, I can, I think I can say that I'm coming more and more from the place where I'm okay with Dennis. And I'm also now, once again, okay with the Zen master, with Gempo Roshi. Yeah. What happened was after my second fall, which was January 2011, what happened was uh, at some point I started to work more on where I'm stuck and where I've abused my own power, where I got caught up like Lance did. I mean, you know, it's a smaller scale. Yeah. Uh, but I got caught up in the power and the projections. And went one step further for me in 2005, uh, I really identified with uh, what we call Mahavarachana Buddha in Buddhism. And that's the mother and father of all Buddhas. Uh, Mahavarachana Buddha is the Buddha who gives birth and helps awaken all Buddhas. And 1980, during my transmission from Azumi Roshi, of course, I was, I was given that position or that title, mm. uh, as many of us are who have had transmission, or what we call Shiho in Dharma. And 25 years later, I really got what that meant. And I can say I, I swallowed the Kool-Aid. I... Um, <laughs> I <laughs> 25 years later, I was totally identified with the one who can empower others. And so, and, and I know you were around in those years and you saw the power that was coming and the ability to empower people. Mm-hmm. Well, then in April, end of April of 2011, in my work with my mentors, Hal Stone asked me to divorce the 81st Patriarch. And a little bit of fear came up, like mm-hmm. a moment of fear, like, how can I divorce this? That's who I am, you know? I'm not going to divorce the, the Buddha in me or the Mahavarachana Buddha in me uh, or the 81st Patriarch, which just means I was 81st in the line of, of some patriarchs from Shakyamuni Buddha. I, I, that's who I am. And so I said, wait, wait a minute, some fear's coming up. Let's do it. <laughs> I got all excited, you know. <laughs> there's some fear here. There's juice, okay? There's some juice to this. So we did. We went through this process of me divorcing that part of myself 
and then going back and finding the one who's not the 81st patriarch, mm. whatever you want to call him, Dennis Merzel or Dennis Paul Merzel or whatever. Right. And what came up was uh, a very timid, uh, not so confident, uh, more fragile, uh, more vulnerable, uh, a little pathetic, <laughs> uh, not so secure, you know, mm-hmm. guy who kind of got shoved aside in the first opening or awakening I had back in 1971 when I was only 26. So he kind of got shoved aside. And so all of a sudden I'm back to, you know, where I left off with Dennis Merzel at age 26 and not with the same power, not with the same energy, not with the same confidence, the same faith, the same trust as Temple Roshi. Mm. And I'll tell you, those were some interesting months. I, I have to say they were very difficult. I experienced what most of us all experience for a lifetime, a lot of loneliness, a lot of vulnerability, quite pathetic, quite insecure. But what was amazing was very, very real, mm. very human. And I, I, I would go to the bar, my local bar. I'd sit there having a beer. And people would come in and sit down beside me, and I had some of the most beautiful contacts contacts with perfect strangers because I was so raw and so vulnerable and so real, but also, you know, without the title, without the position, I was just D from Utah, <laughs> D for Dennis, from Utah, you know? Right. And I never told them what I did or anything, and these contacts were beautiful. And then now it's a year and a half later, and I actually started a few months ago to bring back Gempo Roshi into my my life and to begin to allow him back in. I call it from the apex. So if you think of a triangle, you got the left mm-hmm. side and the right side. The left side would be Dennis Marcel, and the right side would be Gempo Roshi. At the apex, bringing them both back in now to me, I call it me.com, you know, <laughs> me, Dennis, me, Dennis, Dimple, Marcel, Roshi. I don't even know what to call it anymore. <laughs> Too many names. I might, I might, I just might call it Sebastian, you know. There you go. <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> and at that place, at the apex, is I'm starting to really bring back both of these voices into my life and give them equal time and, and equal consideration and each, mm. equal power mm. and say, well, you don't run the show, nor do you. I do. <laughs> right. And I'm, and I'm the sum total, the gestalt of all these different guys, different characters and different voices. But it's my life. It's not the 81st Patriarch's life. Because right. He's just going to pursue the Dharma. He doesn't care what gets in his way. Yeah. He's just going to, you know, awaken all sentient beings. That's his vow. and That's what he's here to do. And he doesn't give a shit about Gempo, mm-hmm. you know. He's only interested really in using Dennis Merzel as a vessel, as a vehicle, as a conduit to bring about the Dharma, to awaken. But Dennis Merzel gets shoved out. Yeah. You know, he gets put out the pasture and he doesn't get uh, airtime. Yeah. So yeah. now I'm really looking at what what's Dennis want? What is he like? What does he want? Uh what are his boundaries? What are his wishes? You know, what does he value? Mm. Because a lot of those values in submission and surrender get put aside or even lost 
that's what happened to to me. I feel in, in the submission and, and surrender aspect of you know I spent 24 years with my teacher, mm-hmm. studying with them. You know, you put those aside. What is it your teacher wants? What does the Dharma want from you? What does the Buddha want from me? You know, and and I never ask, well, what does Dennis want? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, Dennis just got lost. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, it, it, I don't know what he wanted. Yeah, you know, and it, it is—it's that thing that you know, no matter what, because of the you know the way our the way we're wired as humans, and that you know our ego, you know, an ego in the sense that you know the the, the part of us that has the personality and has to make its way through the world, that part is always going to identify with something and 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 at times then becomes over identified with something and i think what you know what i'm hearing you say is that no matter what you're over identified with no matter what kind of identity you you think you are whether it's a zen master or uh, the greatest cyclist in the world or the president of the united states or whatever it is if you're over identified with it there's an imbalance and and there's always you know there's always that need to kind of find like you know who 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 is the opposite of that? Who you know who is the who has been left behind here in the dust? That's right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, very well said. Yeah, very, that was very well said. That's what happens. We over identify. It doesn't matter. What, yeah. What alternative self we identify with? It doesn't matter. There is going to be a consequences yeah. for that identification for buying into the story or buying you know buying into the publicity, mm. you know, our own publicity, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, our own uh, image that we put out there, we project out there, and there's always going to be repercussions and consequences. So, what the work that I'm doing and, and, and doing now is really focusing on those what we're identifying as and with, and what's being left behind. Just like you said, what's being ignored. And bringing that back up. And so that's my own work, and that's also the work that I'm very excited about, very mm-hmm. enthusiastic about, that I'm doing with others. You know, there, uh, we, we mentioned L.A. Of course, I'm coming to L.A. next week. Uh, but there's also Seattle the following week. I'm going to be there. Oh, uh, and then in Vancouver. And that's my time on the mainland this, for this period of time. and not back till May. And I go back to Maui. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, good. Yes, yeah, so you're doing a whole West Coast swing, which will be really, really nice. And um, yeah, and so uh, anyone, if you want to find out uh, the work that Gempo's doing, um, you can go to bigmind.org and it lists all of his events and books and DVDs. And I highly recommend getting one of his DVDs and and trying out this process. And certainly if you're in LA or Seattle or Vancouver, come out to one of these places i'll be in the la one on saturday that'll be fun and uh yeah it's it's you know it's such a great such a it's such a beautiful you know what you know what's so you know it's it's an elegant technique that's what you know that for me that's always like you know it's a good one because it's elegant um and uh well this has been great thank you so much for coming back and talking and uh always god i could you know you and i could sit around and shoot the shit for days (laughs) Well, we could. You know, <laughs> as you were talking, I was thinking, well, anybody who wants to come to one of these events, what we can do is uh, we've got the series of studying the self in videos, and each video, I think, has, I'm not sure, six or eight uh, CDs, uh, DVDs in it. 
and we could gift them that if they want to join us uh, uh, as a gift uh, because they are amazing these DVDs you know we spent a fortune yeah uh, creating they're really so well produced so beautifully produced yeah you did a great job so that, that's great. So listeners, hear up. If you're in L.A. or Seattle or Vancouver and want to come to one of um, Gempo's public programs and sign up for uh, the weekends that he's doing, uh, and you're a listener here at Waking from the American Dream, um, Gempo's offering you an incredibly powerful gift. He's offering you a, a gift of this DVD uh, if you sign up for his weekend. And uh that's that's a that's a gorgeous gift. Uh, it's the gift that'll keep on giving. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, because they can share them, and it does. Yeah, you know, and you can do had, them in a group. People and... have had like uh, evening once a week meetings where they'll watch a DVD and discuss it. Yep, and they'll do that like every Sunday evening or something, and it really it really works. Yeah, it does. It's, uh, it's incredible. It's it's the next best thing to actually being there live. It, the DVDs. It, it is. And you can you can pause the DVD once you ask for the voice and you can go into it yourself and then you can play it and hear the other people talk about, you know, what they're speaking from the voice in and then what you're speaking in. And yeah, it's, it's a great way to be part of the group. And and yet, you know, and, 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 and use this practice on a, on a daily or weekly, uh, practice because it's the more you do it, the more facile you get at it. So now that literally I sit on the cushion in the morning to do my sitting meditation and I, I ask immediately for non-seeking mind, unless there's a little chatter, I need to check something out, but then I'll go right into non-seeking mind and boom, I drop right into it. And like you, like you and I talked about the last time we talked, I get a nice little vacation for about 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> from the world nice little vacation in the non-time non-space continuum it's very nice and uh and then i'm ready to like do my real work for the day whatever that is um so it's 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 powerful powerful work um so great so everyone it's bigmind.org go check out gempo and uh gempo i will be seeing you in uh very very soon right Absolutely. I look forward to it, Kelly. I look forward to it, too. And uh, we will... uh, I thank the listeners, too. Yes, well, of course. And uh, uh, that's it. That's uh, Gempo for today. Thank you so much, Gempo. And I will see you in uh, a little over a week. Absolutely. All right. Have a great trip over. Thank you, Kelly. You're welcome. (laughs) Bye-bye. So, you know what's so cool is... um, in the 1980s, I was one of the most fucked up human beings on earth. <laughs> oh, you're shocked by that news, are you? Oh, have I got stories to tell you people someday. Uh, but I had this book called um, Chop Wood Carry Water. And it was a, this Zen, very, it's a very Zen saying phrase thing. And I used to think like, oh my God, a Zen master. Oh, what would that be like to, to be in the presence of a Zen master and to study Zen and, you know, all that projection stuff you do on spirituality and, and teachers and enlightened people and all of that stuff. And, and now I, I get to like hang out with this Zen master guy who's like a total human being. It's like any idea or projection or thought I had about, you know, what all that is and how perfect he must be and how perfect my life would be if I could just practice Zen meditation. Um, very funny. Just funny how life comes around and you learn so much and, you know, that whole human thing we were talking about earlier. Uh, so, uh, 
check out Go, uh, Genpo Roshi, like I said uh, during the interview. Cool, 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 powerful, powerful work. I have to tell you, I've uh, led some uh, big mind process uh, classes myself uh, here in LA. And uh, it's just so fucking cool to watch people go through the process and have these voices come up and and discover things about themselves in the moment and release stuff like lifelong patterns and ideas like instantly. And yeah, I mean, maybe it doesn't stick forever and you have to practice it and keep it up like anything else. But um, it's cool. And let me tell you, a lot cheaper than fucking Scientology. That's all I can say. Um <laughs> <laughs> there's no tin cans things that you have to hold there's no aliens there's no planets um and really most importantly there's 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 no tom cruise i mean that's that's really the, the main thing so everyone so glad to be back uh thank you for listening thank you for being here thank you for downloading god bless you subscriber people we love you so much uh and if you love the work here that we do at waking from the american dream you can go to my website which is uh kellycarlin.com forward slash waking and there's a little paypal button and if you uh want to support our efforts here uh support these conversations the long conversation that we're having here. Uh, I was with over the weekend, a gentleman named Phil Quasino, who was friends with Joseph Campbell for about seven years before he died. And he used to say that every time he and Joe would get back together, whether it was on the phone or in person, they would just start up the long conversation they'd been having for years and years about depth, psychology and soul and mythology and, and life and being an artist uh, and the courage to create. Uh, so if you're interested in our long conversation here, support us. We we appreciate it. We really do. And uh, Logan, Logan Heftel uh, has a few gigs here in LA the next uh, 10 days or so, one of which sounds really, really cool. On February 1st, he's uh, doing a gig called Top Tune, where you get 17 minutes to write a song. And uh, he told me one of the, the last time he did it, you he won. He won the event that night, people. 17 minutes to write a song. God, that sounds fabulous. And then on um, Sunday, February 3rd, which, yes, is Super Bowl Sunday, but just get over yourself, people. It'll be done early enough. Downtown L.A., Beth Lapidus's Uncabaret. If you don't know about Uncabaret, it is where alternative comedy was born here in Los Angeles. In the 90s, people like Margaret Cho and Taylor Negron and uh, uh, Mark Marin and Sarah Silverman. I mean, this is where people like uh, Janine Garofalo created this thing where you don't have to have a punchline uh, every 15 seconds or whatever it is. And you can tell stories and it can get ugly and bloody and uh, always, always funny, though. And Logan will be there performing with Taylor Negron, who's like one of the founding members of Uncabaret, uh, doing some, I'm sure, profound, funny, fantastic material. Because Taylor Negron, I I don't know, I want some of that man's brain. I want some of that. I want it plugged right into my bloodstream. He Every time I'm with him, I'm inspired to write something fantastic. So he's one of my muses. Love, Taylor. Uh, next week, I swear to God, people, I know I've promised this twice before, but I am having my uncle Pat on. Patrick Carlin will be on this show. And, uh, you must go out. Truly, if you liked my dad's books, Brain Droppings and, uh, Napalm and Silly Putty and When Will Jesus Bring the Pork Chops, uh, you will love my uncle Pat's new book. 
called Ken Fucking Sabe. And uh, it's an am- just this amazing array of Talk about voices. Talk about personifying voices. Um, he has like 10 or 12 different characters that he just lets write in these things, little one-liners, little scenarios. And then he also tells some cool stories about him and my dad hanging out and growing up and stuff like that. But you get to see the Carlin DNA at work big time uh, in this book. So Pat, my uncle Pat will be on next week. We will shoot the shit big time. You will get to be enter into his amazing mind. Uh, that I find to be just so lovely, so fucking lovely, so proud to be a Carlin. And, uh, and then I'll be gone a week. I'm going to Hawaii for a week. Yes, I know. Lottie da, whatever. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually going for my husband's mom's memorial. So there. See, you feel guilty now for being all pissy about me going to Hawaii? Good. And, uh, and then when we get back, uh, I'm going to have a gentleman named Jeff Brown, an author on, um, he writes about soul stuff and spiritual stuff, some more spiritual stuff. And then, and then later in February, we're going to get silly again. We'll have some octagon discussion and some call and stuff. So we have plans here at Waking from the American Dream. We're, we don't just, you know, even though I've been lounging around for the last month, you know, staring at my navel and other things and watching lots of HGTV. I'm obsessed right now with um, Love It or List It. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me, but I'm watching home shows. I hate shows, these shows, but for some reason I'm into it right now. See, you just never know people. Uh, we have plans here at Waking from the American Dream. We will be bringing you fantastic programming in the year to come. Fantastic interviews, funny people, sad people, crazy people, 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 too. And great new music. Logan's always digging up great new songs, great new singer-songwriters. Uh, we'll be bringing all that to you. And, um, and damn it. I'll be writing an essay every week. You're going to, I, that's, that's my commitment to 2013. There'll be an essay at the beginning of every show. So, um, as they say here in America, God bless America. Uh, and, um, it just want, I just have one comment. I've been watching American Idol this week. What the fuck is up with Nicki Minaj? That chick is fucking crazy. That's, that's all I'm going to say about it. I thought Mariah Carey was going to be the crazy one. Oh, no, she's sane. She's totally sane compared to this chick. All right. Just had to get that off my chest. All right. Love you all. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for downloading and um, support everything and everyone that you love. Kiss and hug a loved one tonight. Make sure you go out and see the stars if you can see them. Uh, check out where Jupiter is. Check out where the moon is. Know what part of the galaxy you're in. This is important information. Uh, and uh, definitely laugh. Have a little laughter tonight. I will see you in a week. Thank you, everyone, for Smodcast. You're great to me. Thank you, Kevin Smith, you cutie pie, you. And uh, we're going to go out with a bang. We're going to go out with one of our most favorite Waking from the American Dream guests and Octagon Discussion Table participants, Mr. Rick Overton with Happy Go Lucky. I got me a brand new toothbrush They come in packs of twos Got so many pairs of underwears that I can pick and choose. I may not have no sunshine, but I'm grateful for the moon. I got some ramen noodles.
holes and I found me a plastic spoon. Now you might say I'm going nowhere slow, but at least I get to smell the rose. The out of doors is always open and the bathroom is never closed. So happy go lucky, happy go lucky, happy go lucky, happy go lucky. I'll be happy go lucky one of these doggone days. Have no internet, no Wi-Fi spot for me. Just friendly conversation, and I'm as happy as can be. You keep your fancy jewelry, you can keep your fancy cars. All that stuff just keeps adding up like a prison with fancy bars. So I share these words with everyone to see the silver lining in the cloud. Don't be depressed just 'cause it's a depression. No frowny faces allowed. So happy go lucky, happy go lucky, happy go lucky, happy go lucky. I'll be happy go lucky one of these doggone days. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio, sir. Only at Smodcast.com.